OTB AM. Think of soccer managers over in England who would be really good guy managers. Nigel Pearson strikes me as like a Talton Cup winning manager. He's the English Banty, is that what you're saying? Po- OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Ronan Agari, good morning to you. Morning. Hi, Adrian. How are you? How, how are you keeping? Good. Very glad yourselves. Good, very good. We were talking to you last week about um, Ross Byrne. Cullen was asking you whether he should go out and try and shoot the lights out, and I'm paraphrasing, but you had said no, uh, he shouldn't try and force it. Be solid, play his own thing. How was he? Um, yeah, he was he was good. I think um, it was um, you know I think he in terms of selection I, he was playing for me with two twelves. Bondiaki and McCluskey are, are very much for me in the mold of, of uh, uh, number twelves. One is excellent, and McCluskey is trying to get to that level for me. Um, so um, in terms of uh, someone at 13 who can get the ball to the far five meter channel, you were uh, minus that in your team, which is a big negative. I think uh, it was exactly the case with Jonathan Dante when he wasn't playing for France. It's uh, sometimes the case when your value goes up when you don't play. And we have seen that in this Six Nations when Gary Ringrose doesn't play. You see the value to the team, what he brings. So uh, from Rasburn's point of view, Playing with McCluskey, playing with Bondiaki, it's a direct route. Um, but uh, when you're trying to manipulate defences and you don't have an outside break and a test level defences are smart, uh, it was probably a lot easier to uh, foil Ireland's attack than obviously it would have been if you had a, a ring rose, a Henshaw for me, an Earls, an Osborne, a... Um, Jamie O'Brien potentially, even though I don't think he has played 13, but I could be corrected on that. Uh, so uh, how you set out your team to attack uh, when you strip it back, Ireland, had, for me, had two 12s playing there. Uh, but uh, that wouldn't have helped um, Ross Byrne. So potentially not haven't even seen the best of him yet? Um, of course you haven't, because I think it's his first Six Nations start and the guy's 27, you know, so... In that position, you're at your best at around 30, uh, but you need to be playing three or four games. So, uh, so much of the first 10 games in green is trying to get used to, to that level because it is very different to club rugby. There's no doubt about it. At club rugby, uh, potentially in both teams, you could have, even on a good day, well, sorry, on a high-level performance game, you could have three or four guys that you could find a lot of weaknesses in in test games. Uh, it's very difficult to find fault with a lot of players. What happens at test level is that after 60 or 70 minutes, mentally one of the teams breaks and and the lead changes hands quite a bit. And, um, you know, I would be in agreement. With, I suppose a lot of the, the feedback from the game was that uh, Italy's attack was the best attack that Ireland had faced. And it was because, uh, you know... It, in the first 90 seconds, Italy could have scored a chance. I tried it, a chance to rip Ireland apart, and it came unstuck. And then Ireland, with their class, went up the other end and had a try disallowed. That, uh, but then a minute later, off the restart, they go down the short side and they score a try. That's what great teams do. They they get a moment and, and they capitalise. So, um, 
I think, you know, you look at it, there was Casey, Byrne, uh, McCluskey, Aki. Um, potentially, I think, when you're the manager, the coach, you'd be going, these are my squad players. These are brilliant for the games that we need if we're going to win a World Cup uh, week after week. Uh, but as we all know, there's huge competition at nine, at ten. Sorry. Uh, at nine, at ten, um, um, at twelve, and at thirteen, because obviously the, I think Ireland would go. Um, I mean, Henshaw twelve, Ringrose at thirteen, Aki at twelve, uh, Ringrose at thirteen, Henshaw twelve, Aki or sorry, Aki at twelve, Henshaw at thirteen. So you you have. Uh, a, a strong argument for going well okay well that's our third midfield playing there mm. on the just one last one for me on the Ross Byrne thing and just the point that you made there about taking it to the line Andy Dunn was on with Joe during the week and he was talking about that uh, the difficulty of playing 10 he said it was the hardest skill that sort of taking it to the line fixing it to the defender getting the ball away as quick as you could as a 10 he said he, that for him that was always the hardest skill and he had like the ultimate compliment for Byrne which was to say that uh, Finn Russell Sexton Garbisi and now Byrne are the best at playing that uh, that he's seen in the game that Entomac is less good and that Farrell and Bigger are not good at that and as I said that he himself found it the hardest skill uh, to to master what are your thoughts on that sort of yeah on that bit in the Byrne context yeah but I think that was obviously something that wasn't in his game 24 months ago and he's worked hard and he's seen the pictures that he needs to get better at to give not alone himself a chance of shining a little bit better or brighter but also for uh, engaging defenders on the inside it's it's a huge um, area of the game or I wouldn't say an illness in the game but um one of the work-ons for any coach is that uh, there are times when you're watching footage and you're not too sure of the goalpost on the sideline or the goalpost north-south. So if you're to track me in my thinking here, when you look at body shapes of an awful lot of players and release in the past, if you didn't have a side-on view of, of, of the footage you're looking at, you'd be thinking that the goalposts are on the sideline because that's where all their hips are pointing. So... Because it's, it's safer? Uh, because I think, A, they have a completely different mental image in their head. And B, uh, players are very good at looking after themselves. And I'm all right, Jack. But mm. if the 9, the 10 and the 12 are across field, the 13 is going to get absolutely melted. Mm. Which essentially isn't the 9 and 10 or 12's problem if he doesn't have a, a I suppose an open or a caring uh, mindset for what's the best for the team they can get away with probably having time on the ball but the 13 and 15 are going to get four defenders they're going to get chopped and there's going to be two people around them which means that uh, you have a high likelihood that you'll probably lose the rock or you'll get penalised for for uh, holding on in the tackle. Mm. Ronan, we've had a lot of the discussion in the last week or so since the, the, the Italy game about the decision-making in terms of going for touch or going for the posts. And look, James Ryan did a brilliant job, I thought, as, as captain, and, and that's not an easy decision. For those of us who have never or will never set foot on a, on a top-level rugby pitch, 
just how much of that decision making process is, is, is down to the number 10 in terms of being comfortable with the potential kick for posts and how much is on, is on the captain like, I'm sure there are discussions in the dressing room before the game but I guess a lot of it has to be reactive yeah, well, if there's discussions in the dressing room before the game, it's too late. This needs to be sorted out, obviously, as a work in progress and a general team, which I suppose is consistent throughout the season. Uh, but uh, what is um, where it becomes a little bit grey, and grey is probably a poor word to use, but where it becomes interesting is the fact that uh, what's the energy like in the opposition? What's the energy like in my in my team um, what's the scoreboard looking like is there a yellow card involved so there's potential uh, areas that cannot be discovered till the um, I suppose the heat of battle um, so it's the, I suppose the parameters for the discussion are, are quite uh, narrow yet uh, the one thing you're looking at, I suppose, is body language of the opposition. Are they vulnerable or are they? Uh, is it better to keep the scoreboard ticking? And I think that's um, easily sorted out between, obviously, the, the the kind of, I suppose, the leader, the captain, but also the goal kicker, but also maybe um, one or two others that sh- should have an input. There shouldn't be just two people having an input, I think, that because... If one of them is the is the captain and the other is the goal kicker, it becomes um, a little bit of a one on one, which is not not good. The kicker should be not the decision maker in that; it should be the the leaders of the team. Even when the kicker is sometimes the key leader. Yeah, because um, you know, I think. Um, there are different times throughout the season or in games where the leader, the kicker, will feel uh, bulletproof. Yet there are times it's impossible for for anyone, no matter how good they are, to 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 not have um, a, a downward spiral in his performance or in his game. It's at those moments where the leaders of the team need to go. Okay, it's best for the team, irrespective of how the kicker is feeling, that. We're keeping the scoreboard ticking. If you're leaving that solely to the to the to the goal kicker, for me, it's a, it's a poor choice. Can I just ask you one, Ronan? We were touching yesterday, and it kind of struck me in terms of the Irish rugby team as well. We were talking about Casemiro and the impact he had had at Manchester United, and it's similar with that great Liverpool team of the last number of years as well, where they win a foul or for small moments on the pitch, they're celebrating, giving it loads. Creates a bit of a bond with the with the supporters as well. But it struck me at Wembley last weekend. Casemiro, you know, barely celebrates his goal, and yet shepherds the ball out for a goal kick and, and gives it large to the United fans behind the the goals. I've noticed it with, with this Irish team in this Six Nations as well. They seem to really celebrate the the small moments. Is that something that 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 strikes you as um, a definite sign of of a of a strong winning mentality? Yeah, because obviously the environment is humming. I think. What is great, it's not the team that's humming, it's the squad that's humming, it's the group that's humming. It's the, it's incredibly difficult to get into that team, even to get into that 23, and that's exactly what you want. The team now has momentum, it's driving itself. They have huge confidence from their, I suppose, performance record and from their uh, performance data, but also of their uh, capacity to win games no matter how. In November games at home they were arm wrestled 
Uh, we haven't had a tight game yet in the Six Nations. Some would say Italy is a tight game, but when you pull away by 14 points, um, that that's that's impressive when you're when you're under the pump with a lot of players that probably when Ireland have a first, uh, I suppose, um, poll of players um, that they, they they may not be near that 23. So strength and depth is at an all-time high. I think the atmosphere seems like an all-time high. And now um, and they have serious options in so many positions where we've got to a point where one of Ireland's best players and will remain one of the best players or two of their best players in Henshaw and, and uh, Tyg Farlan, um, Tyg Byrne. The show has gone on and that's exactly what happens. Um, just as you mentioned that, it brought to mind Brian was on again during the week and he was talking about the positive mindset in the group and like, that they're not thinking about just getting past quarterfinal. Like, I don't know if they're talking overtly about it, but that his feeling was that as a mindset, they're thinking about winning the World Cup. Does that differ from what you, the experience of your days in an Ireland chart? No, I don't think so. No, I think uh, it's easy to talk, you know. That's what the public do and people outside of the camp do, but they have their own goals internally. I wouldn't think they're talking about. They know where the, what the long-term goal of the team is, but talking about the World Cup internally is, is completely irrelevant. They're uh, on the cusp of potentially uh, doing something that very, very few Irish teams have done. So short or medium-term focus is trying to beat Scotland and trying to beat England. Then there'll be a, a complete reassess. There'll be more rugby played and then... In a few months' time, they'll make a plan for winning the World Cup, but they also know that uh, what they've embedded in the past uh, towards what they want to achieve uh, next September, October. But you can't just go from hurdle two to hurdle eight without jumping the other hurdles. So they seem to be um, stealing a lead on a lot of teams in their mental preparation, but also in their physical performances. So... uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an awful lot of wasted energy if you're talking about uh, winning a World Cup now. Does this team feel? Uh, those interesting quotes I read from from Paul O'Connell this week, Ron, where he was talking about. He said, uh, in terms of cramming, uh, when 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 he was a player for the Irish international team, he said we tried to cram for the exam a little bit back in our day, the week of big games. For a lot of these guys, the work is done. Uh, do, do you kind of understand what he's saying there in terms of this team maybe being feeling different to, to previous eras? Um, well, what is happening now is that they're being uh, incredibly consistent. Okay, so the the World Cup is a different form, obviously, and uh, the brutality of having to win seven or eight games is it to, to in a short space of time. That's a different test, and that's a test that that can can weigh. But also, um, what is very uh, evident now is that they have, irrespective of who plays in the jersey, a certain standard of performance and they have, I suppose, uh, performance measurements within them that they have to meet to to um, to achieve what they want to achieve. Uh, but I would say it would be very enjoyable also being an Irish player at the minute with the uh, detail and capacity or the capacity of the coaches that they are working with you know it's slipped under the radar uh well maybe at home um you speak about a lot of like someone like 
how Paul has uh, transformed the way the Irish forwards are playing. They're very, very rare. You'd see, um, you mean, a turnover from a structural error. Uh, their skill set is hugely impressive. Their capacity to run onto the ball, to win collisions. Their angles are very, very interesting. Their fitness is through the roof. Their capacity to do, I suppose, high-speed repeated efforts is 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 very very interesting to watch and their I suppose capacity to challenge the defence wherever there is space and moving that ball is what we haven't I suppose seen consistently from 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 previous teams are you um do you pay any attention to what's going on down in New Zealand the last couple of days um yeah of course yeah and, uh, obviously the Crusaders got a belt in super rugby um at the weekend and then they're going to announce their, their new coach so um, in the next f- six weeks is it? Yeah it looks that way Yeah, is your pal getting in at last? We don't know we don't know it's obviously a very competitive job so um, um, no idea Is it unfair on Ian Foster Ronan and I mean that in terms of you know he's got a World Cup to prepare for and yet the timing of it maybe seems a bit strange. Like, could could it, could all this not have waited until until after the tournament, or is that or might be a bit naive? There is that too late. Yeah, I think that's the way professional sport is. You know, you can say it. Uh, Ian Foster has been involved for so many years and assistant. Then as the main man, this is his window to do something irrespective of how it goes. He's on to a new challenge. That's the way the game is going now. So much of professional sport is. Uh, manage in advance to get your planning right to get um, the preparation right so um, I think from I suppose where we all started off in terms of this next coach for for New Zealand it's been a probably saga that has got on too long and has dragged on and now there would be certainty on it and I, but I would agree with you going forward is probably um, a better way of getting the timing right. Mm. There seems to be a, a weird split obviously between the, the union there and the players as well so see how all that pans out over the next while. Ronan, we did want to ask you a terribly sad week again for Irish rugby with the passing of uh, Tom Tierney and Brian O'Brien. Uh, Brian particularly would have been coming into the and you would have known him prior to that I'm sure but coming into the Irish scene around the time that you would have come in. Yeah, geez, it was uh, yeah, two text messages. Uh, one was obviously more brutal than the other, and the fact that Tom was obviously my age, and then Brian O'Brien was um, uh, a great age, but a fit man and strong man and a son man, and uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it poses a lot of questions in your head when you when you receive uh, news like that. I think that yeah, everyone was. Uh, caught badly when the text about Tom came through because it was a huge shock. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 uh, incredibly sad, obviously, um, for for Mary and the kids, and obviously for Brian O'Brien's extended family um, and family, and their very tight family. So, um, yeah, my um, 
my thoughts are definitely with, with both families this week, brutal times. Yeah, it's terribly sad. Uh, Brian uh, particularly always struck me as um, been in and around press conferences covering games at that time that there was a bit of a fatherly figure almost to him. Was that overstating it or what was your experience of him? Oh, no, you're right, yeah. Very caring man, very decent man. Um, great sense of humour, good man for a sing song. Um, but also would, um, you know, I mean, pick you up if you if you if you were to, you know, if you'd overhear you're not saying please or thank you, uh, little things like that when you're being shaped as a young player, and big on discipline, big on respect, uh, a hard, a fair, a decent man, um, and uh, would square up to you too, you know. Um, Loved the kind of the the physicality of when we were in our prime as players. He, he'd have no problem dropping a shoulder into you to to make sure you were uh, on guard. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's hard to to comprehend. It's a little bit like you know I mean like Axel. You still think you're going to see the guy next month? Yeah. Very sad, and as you said, our, th- our thoughts with both of their families this week. Um, Rona, thanks a million. Good luck against Paul tomorrow. We'll talk to you about that uh, down the track. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Thank you. Have a good Friday. Thank Cheers. you. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.